This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, April 13th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. Disclosing political activity is one of those issues that about everyone agrees on, but mandatory disclosure of political contributions isn't all benefits and no costs. So says John Samples, director of the Cato Institute Center for Representative Government. In the Citizens United decision, one of the things that four of the five uh, justices in the majority said was basically disclosure is the thing we'll put up with uh, in order to have, you know, truly free elections otherwise in terms of people who get to speak and about about that seems like disclosure was just sort of a backstop uh, for otherwise relatively unregulated speech. Yeah, I thought the uh, disclosure part of Citizens United was very political in the sense that you you got the idea from it that uh, the justice was, was, were saying, we're making this significant decision that may you know cause political controversy. And in the middle of it, we're going to say, but you know, you can have disclosure. The people who are against this decision, there'll be there'll be disclosure and it can be broad and so on. For me, the part of the decision touching on disclosure was not good at all in the sense that it wasn't well-reasoned, it wasn't conceptually coherent. And I don't think the majority or maybe very few of the Supreme Court justices have thought very much about disclosure and the new world they created with uh, Citizens United. And they need to do that uh, because actually things have changed a great deal. The the speech that was freed up uh, in Citizens United, it's not subject to the same kind of disclosure for the same reasons. What new evidence do we have regarding uh, this sort of new world that Citizens United created? Well, we do have a great deal of spending um, or some more spending in 2010 election. There's more evidence that people are raising money to spend in the 2012 election uh, independently of the parties and and uh, the candidates for office. That's that's independent spending. And it can't be uh, that kind of spending cannot be related to uh, an anti-corruption rationale. That's not the purpose of it, uh, according to the Supreme Court. So really, in the future, disclosure will only be justified by the fact that supposedly voters use disclosed names to figure out where a person or a candidate fits uh, in the political spectrum and whether they should vote for them. So that's a really limited reason uh, and I don't think the Supreme Court's thought through that, you know, is there any real connection between disclosure and that kind of voter education rationale? Another side of this, voters can use that information, but uh, as uh, is argued by other people, the real beneficiaries of this information are incumbents. Right. That's not the official doctrine, but the reality is that uh, – or the reality seems to be, we have a sort of glancing reality here. It's very, This is what we're, the arguments are about. Now, um, uh, there has always been this argument, the, uh, the idea that if you just force people to disclose their, uh, in polit- they're in politics, they're engaged in, say, challenging an incumbent for office, you run the risk that uh, people who might otherwise give money to a challenger to an incumbent will decide not to because, well, most challengers win 
And if they win, you're in a and you've given to the challenger. There's at least the possibility that there could be oblique or overt retribution taken uh, against those who have tried to knock a person off, as it were, in an election contest. So the problem there really is that people will work their way down to that result and then come back during the election campaign and, and say to themselves, you know, it's really not worth the trouble or even the risk, uh, even if it's a small risk, to give money to a challenger, then, and everyone does this, and you end up with a situation you observe in many congressional races, which is incumbents have lots of money, challengers don't have much. And, and disclosure is not the sole reason for that, but it doesn't help matters any, because people and at the end of the day may just say, well, you know, nothing may happen, but something could happen. And nobody, the odd thing about it is nobody says anything or anything like that. Uh, there doesn't have to be any overt threats of retribution. It simply uh, is a, the, part of the circumstances of an election, and disclosure um, makes that uh, plausible. If you're a small donor and you uh, have business pending before the state somehow or uh, before the person to whom you might uh, otherwise attempt to unseat, uh, that small amount of money um, that challengers uh, tend to have, you know, it's sort of a ch almost a chicken and egg problem in a world of disclosure. Oh, right. That's exactly it. I mean, in the sense that if people, if people believe that it's more trouble than it's worth to contribute to a challenger, the challenger, even though they might be able to, uh, you know, raise money if there weren't disclosure, will not be able to because – and it's sort of the incumbent's victory becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in the way. It's you – they are the incumbent. They are the most likely to win as a matter of prediction. But – and given that, that challengers have to abide by that prediction and they might expect retribution or not – Maybe not, but maybe. And so the, no one funds the challenger, and uh, it becomes a curious kind of incumbent protection done, of course, and this is the beauty of the whole thing, done for the most important purposes of anti-corruption or educating voters. So you end up with a chilling of speech and a, and a congressional election system that's uh, more tilted toward incumbency. For example, James Huffman, who is a law school professor that ran for the Senate last year, provide some testimony about uh, this effect of disclosure. He reports that he heard about many potential challengers that would have given to his campaign, but were concerned about the effects. He even reports and that uh, one potential challenger received a phone call uh, from one of somebody connected to his opponent's campaign that sort of was a friendly reminder about, you know, maybe it's not such a great idea to um, contribute to a challenger's campaign, sort of making it overt. Um, who knows? It seems like that, who knows who's on the other end of that phone line, but it does seem plausible, and it is first-person testimony. We have, from time to time, these kinds of anecdotal ideas, and with Huffman, we have a, a series of them that suggest that disclosure really, I mean, you know, people who are likely to contribute any money are pretty politically aware, and they're going to know that disclosure exists and that the possibility that 
uh, a sitting member of the House or the Senate might not like the people and wouldn't see it necessary to do any favors for those who have business in front of them if they've been funding their challenger in the last campaign. It's it's part of the circumstances of life, even if the member of Congress is doing nothing at all toward retribution. It's just there, and disclosure is uh, what makes it uh, viable as a real problem for the political system. John Samples is author of The Struggle to Limit Government and the Fallacy of Campaign Finance Reform. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.